0: Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. Today we'll be
1: covering car hacking. You're likely familiar with car hacking from coverage in the news media and outlandish depictions in TV and films. How accurate are these depictions? How is car hacking done in real life? Let's find out with special guest Craig Smith, a leader in the car hacking community and the man who literally wrote the book on
0: car hacking. Let's get started. Big welcome to Craig Smith. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, A little bit of background information about Craig. If you've ever heard of something called the Car Hacker's Handbook, he is the author. I think he's been, of all the folks that I'm familiar with, he's been involved in the car hacking space the longest. He's also the leader of the Open Garages Initiative the head of the DEF CON Car Hacking Village, and an international speaker and author. And uh, me personally, I've known Craig since, oh man, remember years ago at, at Georgia Tech, that Hungry Hungry Hackers thing that you came to, <laughs> Craig?
2: Yeah, it was awesome. That was my first time I ever invaded a rush.
0: Oh man, I
1: totally forgot about that. <laughs> and uh, I met Craig, what, maybe a year and a half ago when we uh, worked together at Bird.
2: Yeah, I think somehow we avoided each other until then. I don't know how that
1: occurred. I, I don't know how that came to be, but
0: yeah. <laughs> so again, thanks, thanks for being here, Craig. And uh, let's start off with something. So for me, I have an old beater of a car. I ha- do that very intentionally for a number of reasons. One of them being that I don't have to worry about damaging it because I'm pretty clumsy. But another one is I just don't want a lot of computers in my car because I'm paranoid. Am I really that paranoid? What sort of, so, so for, for context, I have like a 2002 Infinity QX4. Um, what, what sort of technology might I be missing? And, and tell me about kind of the technology stack that you usually see in modern vehicles.
2: So that's, this is a good question. And I, it's one that um, I, I get a decent amount, uh, especially if I talk to people about, you know, the cool new hacks and, you know, things we're looking at a new, you know, the, the new technology. And people are like, I'm going to get an older car. <laughs> it's, but there is a pro and con to the two things. Um, so I, I get excited when it comes to talking about you know, hacking things. And so I, I'll go, go into the weeds sometimes about talking about self-driving vehicles, uh, about some of the uh, sensors you know, for lane assist and whatnot, and you know, the technology and dashboard systems that are all electronic, um, that's, that's in these. Um, but the thing that you're going to have to kind of weigh against is if you go with an older vehicle it's true. You're not going to have that, what we call an attack surface. You're not going to have that wide uh, kind of net of possible like bugs or something that an attacker can find. But however, you're you're missing on the other safety features and stuff that uh, come with newer vehicles. Um, and, and in general, I don't think they're better on emissions and whatnot, but they're, they're a lot safer for you if you get into a rack. Honestly, if you're of the two things that are probably going to happen to you between being hacked and getting into a rack, you're, you're most more likely to get into a rack. You know, it's, Honestly, what cars are kind of designed for is to run into things. Um <laughs> and so when people are also like, oh wait, somebody could hack me and assassinate me, like honestly, that's probably like the worst way to assassinate anybody <laughs> because again, cars are good at running into things. That's what they do. Um, so uh yeah, if you take a car and run into a wall, it's kinda kind of was prepared for that. Um Yeah, they so- test for that. Yeah, they do. They do test for that. And so it's not a great way to kill somebody. So I don't know how in the first couple of minutes you've already gotten into killing people with cars. I <laughs> <laughs> that's a new record. <laughs> yeah, I got there. Um, but yeah, so they, it's, it's a wide breadth of things. So when we're experimenting with new technology in cars all the time, uh, looking at 5G and whatnot. And so when we're dealing with those, uh, there's a lot of potential from a security perspective. Uh, but I would not just recommend getting an old car simply because uh, you're afraid of being hacked.
0: And I don't. I don't even have anything like OnStar, <laughs> which I don't. I don't think. I don't think I've ever seen anybody actually use OnStar other than in a movie. Um, but it's <laughs> it's nice to it's nice to know about. And another thing that happened to me recently. Um, again, I have an older car that pretty much permanently has its check engine light on, and I don't really know why. Um, But so I I needed to go get my uh, emissions passed because I needed to get um, registration renewed. And so there was like this sensor fault thing, and I could get it to go away for a period of time. Then it would come back. And so, in order for me to actually get my car to pass smog, I ended up having to like stop at a gas station, fix a bunch of stuff, drive up and down the PCH for like fifty miles until we passed like the OBD2 registration event, whatever. And then it finally didn't come back on and went straight to the straight to the smog check, and then got it passed. And then it came back on like twenty miles later. So, <laughs> so that's my story with OBD2. Um, but, but what all? What all is? What is this OBD2 sensor, and what all is it used for?
2: Okay, um, so the OBD2 is basically this plug that's underneath your steering column. Um, it's it's a defined standard uh, for connecting things. Uh, there's only a couple pins though on the standard that are actually really defined, um, like the ground, power, and then there's something called CAN bus. Um, and one of the CAN bus lines is is defined. The other pins could be more CAN bus lines. It could be different protocols, things of that nature, and that really depends on the make and model and year. But the ones that are defined, they're there mainly because of like emissions testing. And so there's a standard where you can do diagnostic queries uh, to your vehicle. And there are things within your vehicle, these different computer components, and they're called ECUs typically. And um, you can query those on a standard kind of way uh, with vehicles. And so that's what they're using at the small checks. They're they're plugging into this OBD port, and they're making these queries to these different ECUs to kind of find out like, you know, it could be configuration or whatnot, but in this case, it's... They're asking for diagnostic trouble codes or DTCs. And those are the things I'll tell you, like, that your sensor fault light's on and things of that nature. And it's also a way, if you want to, you can clear that light. And, you know, there's a there's a command you can do to just turn those lights back off. Um, no, I'm not saying that's what you should do, but you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, so there's actually a Metasploit module I wrote a long time ago that actually does that, turns that off, and tells you actually why your why car's broken, too. It does both. Love it. I only want it to turn off. I don't know why I need to know why it's broken. <laughs> yeah, depending on what your interests are, you can do either for that. Um, that's that's the general gist of um, the OBD. And so the OBD could do other things too. Um, you could definitely uh, use it as like a sniffing port from a hacking perspective because you can see communications uh, between these different ECUs. Um, so it can be used more in diagnostics. You can also transmit onto them. Um, There's a few vehicles that have a kind of... A, Gateway or kind of a firewall between the OBD and the rest of the car. um So if you if you attach to those and you don't see packets, uh, it probably has one of those on it, and that's very common in like uh, some German vehicles, um, like Volkswagen and things of that nature. Yeah. hey
1: Craig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about CAN bus? How these messages and the ESCs? Uh, how do they speak to one another?
2: Yeah. So CAN bus is a very simplified protocol. Um, and I don't want to into tons of detail, although we could. Um, the, but in general, unlike a network packet, a network packet typically will have like a source and destination, and that's how it travels through you know the world to, to arrive in places. Uh, Canvas is more of a broadcast system. And so they only have an ID. And there's no source or destination, just an ID and up to eight bytes. So a very small amount of payload uh, to send around. And everybody can see each other's um, payload. And so, when somebody and when one of the ECUs is saying something, it may spit out like a number one two three with a couple bytes to it, and the one two three will kind of identify maybe the category. Uh, this is defined by the manufacturer and every make model and year. They typically make different definitions as to what's going to be what. Um, but it could be one of your ECU's may spit out one two three with like I don't know, just say A for the first byte or something, and that may mean that um, the, the the driver door is open. And then some other sensor might see that and go, oh, the driver, I'm going to turn on this light or I'm going to ensure that I don't you know, start the car or something of that nature. Um, that's why everybody else can kind of see it. And so it's not a very fast protocol, but it's a very simple to at least look at. You will have to kind of figure out what those definitions are for your particular vehicle.
0: Mm. But, yeah, I, I want to step in there real quick because... Um... So, when I was in Dubai for, for Hack in the Box, I actually got to Craig. Craig, you weren't there for this, but uh, some other folks from the Car Hacking Village were. And there was a Car Hacking Village at this, uh, at this conference. And it's the first time that I really sat down and started messing around with CAN bus. And I was floored at just how simple hacking CAN bus was. Right, because like you said, it's a, it's a bro- broadcast protocol, and so effectively, even if the legitimate component that is sending the legitimate messages is still sending them, if you're sending them more frequently, don't you like take priority? That's that's what I feel like I saw.
2: Yeah, that's basically how how it works. It's basically like the last packet it saw is pretty much whatever has priority. So if you send it more frequently, that's what you're more likely to be the last packet it saw. Gotcha. Um, you can also be more. Precise with it. So if you want to look at the timing, because a lot of them will happen at intervals, set intervals, um, you could be just slightly past their interval, and mm. yeah, you know, they'll get the real one, and immediately after they get your fake one, and so your, your dashboard just instantly updates with your fake information. But that, yeah, the that's, easy way—that's not great. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's not. But then it's not. It's it's actually very similar to um, say the PCI bus on a laptop. Um, so it's one of the things where everybody sees Canvas from a security perspective. It's like, oh my God, this is, this is awful. Um, there's no encryption no whatever. Um, but it's there on purpose and it's there because you, speed is important to communicate your information about, Hey, we need to write now, things of that nature. Um, and the same as on your PCI bus and laptop, it's, it's not usually encrypted or anything either because once you're on that level, that <laughs> yeah. low level piece, um, it could definitely cause damage, but we kind of wanted the work that's at that speed. Um. So your security usually has to be on layers above that. It, it makes a little more sense. Uh, can bus kind of signifies like PCI bus. It's it's for the same reasons.
0: That that's uh in the past kind of year, my professional career has turned away from security and more towards like core engineering. And I think one of the things that I've really grown to appreciate uh, in that in that time is the importance of keeping systems simple right? So something simple, that not a back and forth protocol, just a broadcast protocol so that everybody can hear it. And it's it's, it's, much more, it's much easier to reason about, and it's much more predictable. And those sorts of traits, I would think, are something that you really want to have in a system that could potentially hurt you if it, if it fails.
2: Yeah, uh, it, it definitely, I think, is the case. Plus, you don't have eight bytes to work with. <laughs> and so if you decide to like encrypt something, um, you're going to have to, um, you know, say you want to use, I don't know, AES, which is just a common encryption algorithm, right? And so your embedded systems, which aren't large systems by any means, not very powerful, um, they're they're kind of simple systems as well. And so you'd have to have the ability to do you know, this kind of math on these chips, which is going to increase the cost. And then once you've done that, if you're familiar with like a, like AES, it doesn't have a way to just know if you decrypted something correctly. And so you're going to have to throw some bytes in these this little eight bytes you have um, to be just a verifier, you know, just a yeah. simple new number or something. So when you encrypt it and you decrypt it, that number's still there. You're like, oh, I, I, did, it, I did it right. It wasn't like a noise in the line or anything like that. And so you're going to lose a bunch of bytes just putting in your verifier. So you typically need to send another packet with the identifier on it or something to kind of say, oh, did I do it right? And so now you doubled your bandwidth or what, you know, to protect the door was open. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, like it yep. doesn't make
0: any yep. sense. Yeah, and, and you've also gone from a like every message is basically tenable on its own to you have to now have two messages and you now effectively have to have state on the receiver to yes. uh, to handle things correctly.
2: Yeah, yeah, it gets complicated really quickly. And costs on automatic, on auto, auto manufacturers, is they really care. So if it goes up even two cents, it's, it's problematic. Yeah. Um, so that's something else to keep in mind if you're making recommendations to automotive companies, yep. like, oh, we'll just throw in this chip. Like, if it's an extra dollar, it's never going to happen.
3: And talking about complexity, I mean, modern cars are just fancy computers with gas generators, essentially, that move in a direction. And that means that they have a ton of different operating systems on them, QNX derivatives or Linux-based derivatives. Can you talk a little bit more about what you see in today's modern car when it comes to the operating systems that are being deployed
2: yeah, yeah. So you, you, you run operating systems mainly in what we call the infotainment center. It's the, uh, or IVI sometimes, you'll see the acronym for that. Um, and IVI just stands for in-vehicle infotainment. And it's just the, uh, that's like the main computer, I would say, that you would see, uh, that you'd recognize as a computer. And so if you're coming from the world of, you know, computer hacking, uh, that's a good one to start with. Or even router hacking, because um, those will have full-blown operating systems on them. And uh, QNX is a very popular one. Um, it's been around for a long time in the automotive. Um, although if you're um, hired to work on new stuff that's coming out, I've seen mainly more Linux-based systems for this. But there's also like a Windows CE, which is, I think, called Windows Automotive. But it's it's Windows CE under the hood. Um, I, that was actually, Windows CE was the first one I ran into when I first kind of got into this. I, I went for the infotainment center because it's the most likely something I was familiar with. I didn't come from a mechanical background. I came from just a reverse engineering background. And um, it was Windows CE on a a Hitachi SH4, I think, processor, which is, um, turns out the same processor Dreamcast uses. (laughs) So I was unfamiliar with that processor at the time. Uh, I was familiar with Dreamcast, but not that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Do you know where else you see Windows CE and Hitachi processors?
2: That was the first time, and that was a... that's no, a Honda.
1: Um, so I, I've seen him in voting machines.
2: <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah, so that's yeah. interesting. So old boy, Honda's yeah. and voting machines. See, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you can you vote from in your some. old Honda. <laughs> could be. <laughs> could be. <laughs> and so I, I think that's the kind of the, uh, a good point is that when you're getting into this, you don't always know what you're going to be looking at. Um, so, you know, you, be open to some of these things, but yeah, QNX, Linux, and some Windows CE is probably the most common things you'll run into. Um, if it's not the infotainment center, a lot of times it doesn't have an operating system. Um, so if you're if you're not familiar with hacking like truly embedded systems, uh, that's kind of what you would be dealing with. So it's just like a microcontroller, like as if you're hacking, say, an Arduino, but it's not it's not an Arduino, but it's, it's it's that kind of thought process would be applied to those instead.
0: So there's this place called DefCon. We've referenced it before. Um, it's the largest hacker conference in the United States, one of the largest in the world, and uh, it's in Las Vegas. It's a great time. We go there every year when it's not a pandemic, and uh, one of the one of kind of the coolest things, and one of the one of the things that always has like the most people and the most attention. And uh, a bunch of people walking around in like mad scientist lab coats is the car hacking village, and this is a thing that that Craig runs. And, and to give you some, to give an idea of like what it's like, you effectively walk into this big atrium in a casino in Las Vegas, and you'll see again a bunch of folks from the car hacking village, and they're all wearing, they're all wearing mad scientist coats. Uh, I want to say, wasn't there a sledgehammer involved with a Tesla last time, uh, Craig?
2: yes yes there was last
0: time (laughs) oh i missed that oh (laughs) geez and that's that's not typically how you hack a a tesla uh but but basically it's like there is a tesla there there's all these like all these stations soldering stations circuit boards uh they even had their own special badge that had a car on it so there's this whole like badge culture around defcon um but like basically it is one of the first stops for people that are both returning, uh, but also newcomers to DEF CON. It's just one of kind of the biggest showstoppers uh, in terms of the villages there. Greg, tell us a bit about what the Car Hacking Village is and and why you should come see it.
2: Okay, Um, let's see. So I I can't remember exactly what year it started, but Robert Leo is the one who who approached me. He he does a lot of the car hacking training there. So if you ever go to DEF CON, you want to learn about car hacking, like he he has classes there. and uh, You should definitely take them. They're very good. Um, but he came to me and said, like, let's, let's build this, uh, this car hacking village thing. So this is very much of his baby. I don't want to take credit for, for the car hacking village. I, I definitely help it at DEF CON, um, in certain, certain places around the country, but, uh, I would say it's, it's his thing. Um, but we, we basically get together and it's, it's, it's to teach people how to car hack and it's, it's meant for all skill levels. And so if you've never done it before, it's more than just going to go see a class or a, talk uh, somebody has done, you, you get to actually sit down and work on vehicles and work on parts. We've already pulled a lot of the components out of the vehicle for you. So it can just be uh, focused on say like an entertainment center or something of that nature. We have people who walk around and, and talk to you, like and help you out and we have challenges. And so these challenges could be like, oh, we're going to... You get fifty points if you make the you know the headlights blink or or whatever they are, and so you kind of go through those, and then they get more advanced, and so they get to get to harder and harder hacking challenges, and sometimes they're full on cars, and sometimes they're you know just more for fun. Like we've had some where you um, you sign up for a sheet. You do have to sign up um, for this particular challenge. So we don't scare you because what we we'll do is we come up behind you at some point in time, and we will put on a ski mask with the eyes sewn shut. And then we zip tie your hands and throw you in the back of a SUV, and um, (laughs) and you have so much time to get out. And there's there's a screen, and there's a laptop in the back, and you have to get out of your, you know, and you can choose if you want zip ties or handcuffs or what you want. So if you want to, you're more comfortable picking locks, and different ones are worth different point values. So the harder ones to get out of are worth more points. And um, yeah, you get through that and then you know, people can watch you and you, you then have to get out of the vehicle. And then typically you get extra points if you like flash the hazard lights and you know, issue a stop command and then eject the, the back is kind of the, the, the whole point of the, the game. But figuring that stuff out in Canvas and making that work is your goal. Within the timeline. And so that's just one of the challenges. And it's, you know, it, it does relate to car hacking. You know, we're throwing you in a trunk. Um, it's, very, <laughs> it's very fun. Um,
0: I've, I've we, never heard of this. And I'm just glad that we have now gotten to the second time that we've brought up killing people in cars
2: <laughs> in one
0: episode. <laughs> just kidding. There, there's been no casualties as, as a result of this challenge, though.
2: There's not. We were actually really kind of nervous about doing this particular one at first. We weren't really sure how it would be um, but, but the media loved it, and so um, everybody seems to really like it. So we, now we do it like every year. I swear. <laughs> I'm going to be I'm
0: going to be in Vegas, and I'm going to get a hood thrown over my head, and I'm going to get zip tied and thrown it in the car. I'm like, oh, Craig, come on, and Welcome it's not going to be Craig. It's
2: <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh, this is this is in the car hacking village. Oh no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yep yep yeah. so we, we've had all those we've also had um we had like these uh self-driving uh, rc races since so we had like an obstacle course so it wasn't just like a you know who can go around the fastest you had to actually go through like a tunnel and navigate a tunnel that had turns in it and go up and down a hill um all without touching the vehicle so you couldn't use like an rc version it had to be self-driving and the vehicles could um were attack and defense so you're allowed to attack the person next to you and you're allowed to defend so these are rc type cars so There'd be things like glitter bombs and you know using vape pens as smoke screens and things of that nature. <laughs> our, our hobbies are set up so it's it's you know we, we try and bring the challenges and make them different every year and it's, it's been fun.
0: It sounds like a, a Def Con version of BattleBots almost, and I I used to watch that show a lot. <laughs> Good old Spike TV.
2: <laughs> yes, it is, it was kind of like that. Um, Getting through that course automatically is, is quite challenging. So, pretty much, if you made it to the end, you basically won because um, it's just as tough. And, and these
0: cars that you get, you, you, you buy them all up front or do you, do you rent them?
2: Um, well, so if we're giving away a car, we, we definitely buy it. Um, <laughs> the, the other ones are typically like the parts are, are brought in. And sometimes um, we have you know, partners that come from car manufacturers and they'll bring in stuff because they, they, often, they oftentimes use this as a recruiting area. But for some of the vehicles, like the ones we lock people in the back of the trunk on, um, those are rental cars. Um, and so we'll rent them. And then like we also have a, a every year we teach people how to take apart the dashboard. Because um, that's something <laughs> that is, you know, it's it's not that hard to do. And that's where you get to all the good stuff. I mean, the OBD port, which we talked about is, um, that's the easiest way. But then, like I said, there's certain like German cars where you won't get to see certain things um, because it's, it's kind of like firewalled. And then there's other like, CAN bus communication happens between ECUs that are not exposed to the OBD. So that could be like a a CAN bus that basically says like, oh, the key was right. Go ahead and start the car. And so if you directly (laughs) attach to that line, you can just start the car. Um, And so to get to that, sometimes you have to remove the dashboard. And so for typical people or car hackers and stuff, even I'm not even car hackers, just regular hackers, um, they're not familiar with that. And so taking apart the car and getting comfortable with that is a big part of this. So we'll rent cars for that too. (laughs) Do they go back together well? Uh, They go back together. Reasonably Um, well. (laughs) It has a dashboard now, technically. Yeah. So So the tabs may be broken. Uh, They do start. Um, but we pay the extra $7 for insurance in case it doesn't, you know, and then that's yeah. like, you know,
0: they get like, back in Jetta with like a dashboard of, of a Pontiac.
2: <laughs> <laughs> when we first started doing that, I actually felt a little bit bad. I was kind of like, Oh, like this, this is this really the right thing to do. Um, but yes. honestly I've, I've talked to, it's hundred percent the right thing to do. <laughs> i talked to, uh, <laughs> people who've done like races and, um, derbies and type of stuff. And like, they do that for parts. <laughs> I, really, I feel that's even worse. I feel that's way worse. Like if you're like, oh, I'm just gonna rent a car and remove a part of this and put it in my and, and teach people
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so we we don't do that. The car builds basically back together. Um, yeah, mine's a couple of these tabs that get broken off in place, but so far everything's been fine.
3: They shouldn't
0: have made issues. those tabs plastic to begin with. That's their fault. <laughs>
3: It is so fun. <laughs> Don't buy used rental cars from Las Vegas is all in here. <laughs>
2: Anybody uh, who's buying tip. used
3: rental cars from Las Vegas to begin with, that's an interesting story,
0: but you shouldn't yeah. be doing that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah
3: that,
2: that, there's a lot of stories to that vehicle,
0: guaranteed. And so how would you say for the folks that haven't been to DEF CON or are thinking about going to DEF CON, and I know that the, that the Car Hacking Village actually shows up at at conferences all over the world, but... But I think DEF CON is kind of the biggest, the biggest Car Hacking Village event, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So for the, for the newcomers, what would you say to them if they want to they get involved?
2: Um, well, to, to basically come and, and learn, just show up. Uh, like I said, it's for all ages. We have uh, uh, in every, every skill level as well. And so, like, you know, we have challenges that go uh, anywhere and we we're there to help. And we have lots of volunteers that can help. Uh, if you want to participate if you're somebody who maybe is in the car industry maybe you do know uh, hearing performance parts or something of that nature and you know you want to use it as recruiting um recruiting's totally fine um just just let us know and then you know we'll try and make room for your your vehicle or your component um you will probably have to maintain or sorry have some people who who can come and kind of you know work with them on it because we we don't know your product as well as you do. And so if uh, you're know if you bringing something in, like if you just give it to us. We're just going to make it a free-for-all and you get what you get when it's done. Um, and so like if you're there, you can kind of monitor it and whatnot. Um, but I'd reach out to, uh, I believe we have a dot I think it's com. It might be in work, I think it's village.com. And so you can go there to find more information about it or upcoming challenges, what city we're going to be in. And also if you just want to, to learn more um, on, on how to get started um, in car hacking.
0: Great. and we'll make sure to have uh, links to all of those references that Craig just said in the show notes for this episode. Uh, should we get straight
1: into Q&A? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Craig. Um, I, I think you've already touched on this when we were talking about cars being built for safety, but how concerned should people be about having their car hacked?
2: Um. So I... Yeah, I don't think you should be concerned with it. Like, and and from a non-security perspective, like just a layman perspective, it's not something I think that you should be thinking on your daily basis. Don't go run out and try and buy antivirus for your vehicle or, or anything like that. Um, <laughs> Is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, it's the it HDMI be HDMI thing, If you cables. let, it be, <laughs> if you oh, let it be a thing, it'll become a thing for sure. I've definitely gotten approached. I've even been approached by a vendor. I can't even, a large vendor. I can't even say who they are, who, who wanted me to write a car virus so they can see if their antivirus can detect it. Um, I More. refuse to do that, by the way. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> as fun as it would be to be paid to write a car virus, I did not. Um, because it, yeah, it's just super shady. and That's a... If that's a thing if they can sell you on it they will and um, I, I don't I don't think that's something you need to do as a security researcher it's hundred percent something we need to be looking at um, because there is a tax surface there is you know um, risk of, of problems even if it's not to kill somebody like you could you know make it so all the traffic stops and people can't get into work you could hurt the economy you could track people there, there are things you could do that are definitely dangerous um, as far as that goes a lot of privacy related things and um, so we, you need security professionals to take a look at this and to make sure as an older industry is moving into a newer field that they're doing it right. And they take the lessons learned, which is very hard um, for a lot of companies to do. And so from that perspective, you you do have to be vigilant as a security person. Uh, But as a layman, um, I think you're fine. There's not even a whole lot you could even do on your own, unfortunately, unless you're full on car hacking. Um, Yeah. So it's, I don't think you should be worried about it. Um, we we are working on it. There's even some standards that kind of give you almost like a um, scorecard for your cybersecurity uh, of your vehicle to kind of say like oh, really? where it stands. Yeah, There's there's been lots of talks of that. It hasn't really come to fruition, but um, it's hit the center floor in the past and um, it's it's been discussed. And so it might eventually be kind of like a star rating you might get. Um but, of course, security is a tough one to kind of make those grade cards on. But we're, that's the point. It's trying to make it a little bit better for people to have the ability to even say, is this car more secure than another car? Um, but it's yeah. not there yet. So right now, it's, it's even if were to say, oh, yeah, you have to care. I, I couldn't tell you how other than take the car apart. So, <laughs> so that's a little much.
1: <laughs> that, that's a really cool effort. I'm now imagining, like, a nice sports car we're all looking at. It, and it's like, oh, man, it's only got one star security rating. It'll just like explode <laughs> as soon as we get it on the road. My, my the crash rating.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah my, uh, it, is, it is actually something like that. It's very similar to that. And so, if you have over there updates that are encrypted and stuff like that, that would that would improve your mm. your rating. So that's kind of how it would work.
0: So you guys started thinking about like the car rating, but as soon as I heard stars and cars, I started thinking about Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: With this, what are some common misconceptions with car hacking? I'm sure you hear a ton of them uh, throughout your day to day efforts dealing with car hacking.
2: Um, I think it's by the remote control of vehicles, probably the the most common. Um, you know, where like I think Fast and the Viewers I think had a, a scene where like a bunch of cars got taken over and they they start driving through the city. <laughs> like <laughs> well, it's that, that that's just. That crazy. Honestly, um,
0: <laughs> that would just be a lot of damage. Just a lot of car wrecks.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean the delay alone. Not not. Uh, there's just so much wrong with this. <laughs> even on even we start with like one individual person taking a one individual car, um, and, and and so you have their full human attention remotely. <laughs> uh, just this is a cellular line. I mean, you, you need maybe five G. You need good camera systems. The person has to be watching that at all times. Um, it'd be technically possible to do it to one vehicle, maybe a uh, future vehicle, not, not current ones, um, because it's just, they're not done that way. It's almost like, I would say right now, the, the response you should expect over a cell line is basically if you were to send it a text message and tell it to go do something like picture that communication. Now picture trying to drive something by sending a bunch of text messages. It just isn't going to work. <laughs> oh
0: just sit there with t9 furiously trying to type out the next
2: instruction <laughs> <laughs> yeah and doing it for a fleet vehicles it's just it's just not work. um so you just you just can't do that uh, unlocking a car starting a car yeah sure no problem but uh driving a car is way 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 harder
1: hey uh, chris uh, your old vehicle may be t9 i have swipe for mine Ooh, okay. nice Ooh. nice yeah
3: I, well i actually have Neuralink now so it's straight from the brain Oh, oh. <laughs> I was about to say, if we have any listeners that are like under the age of 20, they're not going to know what T9 or swipe is when it comes <laughs> to text messaging. <laughs> They'd be like, what are you guys talking about? Don't you just have a virtual keyboard? <laughs> oh, man. I just t- t- <laughs> you know what? But the thing about T9, the s- small, small
0: little uh, uh, divergence here. The thing about T9 is you could have your phone in your pocket and still know what message you were sending because you could at least feel the buttons. Anyways, I digress. I like T nine. Japanese
2: keyboards <laughs> still use T nine, just so you know. Really? A- yeah, yeah. That's That's do online. Yeah. So
0: okay, so there's the there's the Fast and the Furious, the autonomous swarm of cars, and so that is thoroughly debunked. But Craig, how about the case in another show called Mr. Robot, uh, where the police are called to remotely disable a car?
2: Um. So. I don't know that I'm terribly familiar with this particular episode. Is do how, how does it work? And give me the lay down of how this scene plays out.
0: So I think the, the general idea is that you could somebody calls the police and through some technological means they, they're able to figure out what the car is. Maybe they already have the, the identity of the car, but then they're able to remotely kill the engine.
2: Yes, you could do that. That that you could definitely do. Um, and that typically would be over a system like OnStar or something. Um, you wouldn't need it To work that way, but if the cops are doing it, you will, um, because they, they need a system. And so, what they would do actually is they would call, uh, like GM for the case of OnStar and, um, and you know, say this is a police matter, blah blah blah, blah you know, and ask it for approval. And then at that point, they, they would shut the car down on OnStar. So, that, that's how that would work. Um, see, this is something. why I don't have OnStar, <laughs> yeah. Uh, OnStar on could do that. Um, that is, that is a feature of OnStar,
0: and, and this um, is this is such a common. Story for hacking stuff where it's like, oh, well, when you see that crazy thing happen, there's some dude that has a a laptop with like scrolling screens of green text and they're able to do it. It's like, it's actually way less sexy than that. Somebody calls GM and then they call like a support technician and then they press a button through a pre-configured system that does this.
2: That is exactly how this hack works.
0: (laughs) Quote unquote. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, what's the craziest hack you've seen yourself or that
2: you're aware of? Mm. Craziest car. hack. Uh,
1: and by know. that, whatever your favorite metric is for crazy.
2: Yeah, I know. That's, that's, that's kind of things. So it kind of like there's different categories and like, I guess for me personally, I, I, it's, it's a hack. but It's more of a hack in a traditional sense. I really enjoy when people take like old old vehicles and they make them electric, and um, and but you still have the same instrument cluster uh, for them, and that's so you have to do this like conversion from, you know, old discrete logic chips into CAN bus, and then you yank the entire engine out because you don't need most of those parts for an electric vehicle, so that all just becomes a battery, and um, it's. I, I really like those. The, those are some of my favorite hacks, actually, is when you see like this old like beetle and it's, it's an electric, it's been modified to be electric and like, it's just cool. That's, That's cool. A little truck uh, that was like that. And all like, we have these like milk crates in the back and milk crates are batteries. <laughs> and so it's just like fake <laughs> milk crates. Um, and I was like, this is awesome. I, I just, I, there's something about the creativity that has to go into it too, that I, I just enjoy. There's a lot of like kind of art to it. Um it's not mm-hmm. just the technical piece. It's almost like the Burning Man cars. This is the other ones I kind of really like. And so, we're, when you are adding a flamethrower to a car, that that always I will always find <laughs> that sexy. Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, those are my favorite. Um, but in traditional hacking senses, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a little jaded because you just you just kind of do them. And um, like when you're you do certain ones too that are, are there for show for the execs. Um, it's kind of like you're alert to a website, you know, maybe the first time you, you popped a little cross-site scripting, you're like, oh my God, that's the coolest thing. That's like 501. <laughs> you're like, yeah, uh-huh, that's how that works. <laughs> so I, I think cars are the same way. Once you've kind of gotten into cars, like, because say, say you get in, you can talk on that canvas that we talked about. And So you've, you've hacked into the infotainment center the way you would any kind of computer because it's just a computer. And then um, so you've gotten in, you get to access to the CAN bus and now you have raw commands. And so you send a command that does a thing. Like, So this is the command that would unlock the car door. So you would send that command and unlock the car doors. I mean, it's not, it looks cool from the outside. Like, hey, I'm typing on my computer and the car door unlocked or the car started. But it, from a technical perspective, it's not actually all that sexy. It's just, you know, I've, I looked at this infotainment center and then I just referenced it to a bunch of bug databases and look at the CV and go, oh, okay, so this old version of this operating system has this bug and I ran Metasploit and then I ran this bus command and there it goes. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> you,
1: I, you, know. you tell it to do a thing
2: and it does the thing. Exactly. The thing was programmed to do. Um, so, it may look cool on the outside and we do it for executive reports and stuff all the time. A lot of times when I have to do a full car, um, usually the the alert pop-up for that is unlock the car and start it. Um that, that's that's usually what you do. So you have a little video of yourself doing that. Um I don't know. It, it, I typically don't like to do whole cars anyway, because it's it's just kind of silly. Um I, I prefer to focus on whatever components you're you're concerned about. You know, you're gonna roll out a new ADOS system which is like assisted driving and you want you know analysis on that. Um that that usually makes a lot more sense than saying like here's a car, find a bunch of things. That's it's a little weird.
3: Yeah with that, what type of, are, are you comfortable discussing what type of car you drive?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get that question a lot too because I, I think people think uh, like, oh, he, he's really done his research and he does this, this is the car he has and they have this, this car in their mind. So, I'm always, it's always fun to tell him I just drive a Honda. <laughs> so, I, I have a newer one now, though. I have this uh, Honda Civic hatchback, and uh, the reason I have this particular one, it, it, there is a little bit of car hacking. The reason for this one, um, it does have ados like systems, and I do have it tied into Coma AI, which is a um, like a, it's, it's a program called OpenPilot, which is an open source self driving system, and so you can modify fairly easily your um, at least a bunch of different cars, but uh, Honda is one of those that you can kind of modify so that you can self-drive so when i went down to from i'm in seattle right now and i I worked out in la for like a year and a half and going there and back i had the car drive me i didn't i didn't feel like doing the drive myself um so i got the car to modify it to make it more self-driving um so i didn't have to drive to california so that's that's (laughs) why i have it.
3: Sales in Honda hatch hat just went straight up the roof now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an affordable car to do that in. Um, that's for sure.
3: <laughs> yeah, affordable yeah. because if you brick it, then it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> well, yeah. if you well, we, it,
2: we <laughs>
3: <laughs> We've talked a lot about Hondas. We, we're not sponsored by Honda. This is yeah. not paid for by Honda. Nope. Yeah, you
2: hadn't asked questions, so... <laughs> yeah, we just we just asked questions. The
3: answer seems to be Honda, uh, which we learned <laughs> are... Yeah, I, I guess we learned their voting machines on with a gas <laughs> generator as well. So that was an interesting tidbit. That feels uh, very cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the hall of voting machines just churning out black smoke. Um, and with the with the state of kind of technology today and the way things are going, uh, where do you see? If you had a crystal ball, where do you see car hacking evolving?
2: Um, I, I think. I think the area that we still need a decent amount of work on is the self-driving piece. Um, and it's it's maybe not a ton through security. I should too. sorry. Uh, there's that and there's also right to repair. Um, so I'll start with the self-driving just because it's a technology area that we're, we're still testing on. Uh, and so when we're testing on getting things to work, oftentimes we don't do security because we just want to make it work as an engineer. Um, and, and I totally 100% get that. But sometimes once we finally get to basically work is when we're like, okay, ready for production. Like We skip the security step. Um, so if you're working in the industry, uh, it's definitely very important to be in the design uh, aspect of things. And so as we're discussing like how things are gonna be laid out and what kind of components we're going to use and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's, it's important to have your security guy there. Um, even if they're just listening in the background, that's usually kind of how I do it. And then when something happens, I'm like, oh, I think we'll just, you know, do all the logic in the cloud. And then my ears perk up. Like, oh, wait, how are, how are we planning on doing that? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and so that's, that's usually what they're for. Because if you, you get down this road and you build your self-driving vehicle and you find out, like, the security team finds like, oh, we're just doing this over, you know, the cellular line to an Amazon cloud service. It's like, oh, that's where all the thinking is. What happens if I just jam the cellular line? And like, oh. So who would do that? To a wall. <laughs> yeah. And so. <laughs> Isn't um, that illegal? yeah right we (laughs) will say things like that and it's like yeah but uh definitely a thing you can do um and and so like those things are oftentimes missed i see it missed a lot with this whole 5g stuff um where it's like 5g magic let's just do that and uh the processing some of the processing that should be on the vehicle isn't um and so they need to do more of that Uh, uh you know i don't know so that's an area there um the other spot like i mentioned was right to repair and uh this is an area that I, I spend a decent amount of time on. And I find it a spot in general that security people, especially ones that are really good, have a hard time with this one. Um, because when you're talking about hardware, um, you're talking about something that consumer purchases and not like rents or leases. Um, for the most part that consumer owns that piece of hardware, at least they feel that way. And uh, I think they're right to feel that way. And so if we as security people come in and we're like, oh, let's look at this product. I know I know, I know what we should do. We should encrypt all the things. And the way security people encrypt all the things is they encrypt it and they'd say, okay, here's the key to decrypt it and only I have the key. I am your, the company. Where are the rulers of this key? Well, that doesn't really work um, because the consumer is the owner of that product. Um, so how do you deal with that? How do you deal with like, oh, now we're on to our next product. And you know, are you going to keep managing these keys? Um, what happens if you stop existing? What happens to the product? Um, how does this continue on? And this is a harder topic for security people because like how do you deal with that i mean do you make some complex pki system where a person can register the product to get a a copy of a key so they can you know manage their own firmware um
3: that sounds hard
2: it, it it is hard and um and it takes a lot of planning usually during the design phase um to to make this work and you can actually come with very cheap solutions for this uh, one of my favorite ones and I, i've you know i've done this on a couple ecu's um, is like you, you, you have like a root certificate. And that's the thing that kind of says, like, you know, what can, you know, sign things and what can write updates for your, your, your component, whatever the hardware piece is. And so one thing you could do is you can make a little jumper switch, um, on, on the thing where you have to open up the case, put on a jumper and then power it on. And when you power it on, it basically wipes that root of trust and allows you to upload your own. Um, that makes it so that you physically have to have access to this thing. You know, it's not just an easy, walk up and do it kind of, you know, hack. But it allows you to just void your warranty and, and, and you know, write your own firmware to it. And avoiding voiding your warranty is like a key piece of this. Um, so to do that part, because uh, if you don't do that, what happens is people will, like, say, for vehicles, they will upload their own firmware for performance tuning, you know, blow up their engine, you know, put the old firmware back on and then take it in and say, "Oh, well, I don't know what happened. But, you know, <laughs> I have a warranty. <laughs> Give me a new one. Weirdest um, thing. Yeah, it's it's insurance fraud and definitely illegal. But it happens all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's a technical term for this. It's called fraud. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. But unfortunately, it's a thing. And um, so one of the incentives, also, if you're a security person, to encourage a company to to add right to repair is this warranty piece, because um, right now, like I said, that is a problem that they deal with. So one of the things you can do when you when you do something like wipe out the root key, there are basically e fuses on most modern microprocessors. And a lot of times they're used to make sure you can't roll back certain firmware versions and whatnot. Uh, reserve a couple of those for, for this type of work. And so when you have that jumper set and you power it on and it wipes the rookie, it also blows one of those fuses. And that's the warranty fuse. And so no matter what firmware you load on it, you know that the warranty has been voided. It's just like a sticker on a piece of hardware that says, oh, if you know, it's open, the you know, the, the warranty has been voided. Hmm. Same kind of thing. So then you get rid of like, insurance fraud, which is obviously money for, for the company. And you make it so that the consumer can continue to use and modify the product, even if you stop supporting it, uh, which, is, which is important. And it's not – at the end result, is isn't actually all that hard to implement. But you do have to think about it early on.
0: So for the folks that may not have heard the term right to repair before, uh, I think that one, of the, one of the things I actually saw in the news over the weekend, um, over this past weekend, was in reference to how apparently iPhone sales are dropping and apple is concerned about this and they claim that one of the reasons they're dropping is because people are repairing their phones rather than replacing them and right to repair is more kind of this it, it there's how it applies to cars specifically but more generally speaking it is when you buy hardware you own that hardware you have the right to repair it uh and like this weekend myself i even uh i even like repaired my iphone because, like, yo, know, I bought this thing. This thing has cost me twelve hundred dollars. I don't want to have to buy a new one because of some small defect that I'm that I'm able to repair. And these big companies see this as a really profitable revenue stream, right? Like, it, it's part of the the mantra of having an uh, Apple device. Is like, well, if you don't have the latest and greatest, it's not cool. Um, and so you have people that are throwing away perfectly good phones just because they want to get the newest one, or there's some so you have a crack in the screen, and it's like, oh, well, got to replace it, or you got to replace the entire phone. And and so it's it's, I, I think this is kind of a core maker hacker ethos thing: is that like, yo, when you when you buy the hardware, you should you should actually own it. You're not leasing it from the company. And and Craig, I, you know, we. This came up in, in the previous section where we were just asking you questions, but I feel like this is even closer to your heart than, than you may have, have let on. There's, there's additional work that you've done in this space, right? Is there anything else that you want to say about right to repair and, and what people should think about it?
2: Oh, yeah, you're, you're totally right on that. Um, for sure it is because uh, it, it isn't just about cars with this one, and I've, I've done a decent amount. Um, uh, I think it really started with um, the DMCA. We got some exemptions, and this this particular piece was for cars. Um, the d- exception piece I worked on was not just right to repair; it's basically uh, the right to tinker. It, it basically means um, you have the right to reverse engineer a vehicle um, if you own it. And so, like for for me, like that would be like say I want to convert my car into night rider vehicle, right? <laughs> but I, I don't want to make it less safe. Um, just because I'm going to add a new dashboard or some cool lights or something like that, and I want the lights to be triggered on you know, the brakes or whatever it is, like I need to be able to reverse engineer it to make that work. And that's not a repair; that's just the tinker. And that goes to the ownership piece you mentioned. Like, so I bought this, and so therefore I have the right to do whatever I want with it. And we need to make that safe. And. This, this also improves just the whole ecology and just the, you know, how green something is. You know, if you're throwing these things in a landfill for absolutely no reason, that's just, that's just pointless. It's just to help the investors. Um, it's just, that's not you. That's not what this is about. Like you, you mm-hmm. bought a thing. You should definitely repair the thing. It, it, it's actually a hell of a lot of fun too. And they're not usually all that hard to go to places like I fix it and I will 100% plug that site. It's a fantastic site mm-hmm. um, where you just search for your product. Um, they tell you step-by-step step how to repair it. They will even sell you a little kit on if you don't have the tools for it. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, there's cracked screens, um, batteries for phones. Um, these, these, are, these are really important things. Uh, one of uh, the family's favorite things in our house, we have this little, I guess you call it a toy. It's called Vector. It's this little robot that just lives here. And uh, you, don't, you don't really interact with it other than talk to it and stuff. It charges itself. It leaves. It runs around, plays with things, whatever. Um, but just, it just, it's the pet. And they went out of business. And, um, and so there's an effort to, to, you know, get the firmware, like open source and basically reclaim it because I know, at least from my family, um, it is a pet. And if something were to happen to it, it would be a problem. So I'm actually on eBay looking for parts for this thing because they're eventually going to go away. And, um, I'm going to need to re- repair this. So my, my future job will probably be robot repair, by the way. That's, that's my re- new retirement <laughs> plan. I'm going to do robot Dope. repair. <laughs> but these things happen all the time. I think when you're a business, you tend to forget things like I may not exist, like you never mm-hmm. plan for not existing. Um, but yeah, for, for landfills and everything else uh, to be able to do that. And I, I went to Michigan earlier this year um, for the new version of the right to repair bill. That that is also automotive, uh, mainly focused on automotive anyway. And the nice thing about doing it in like, Michigan is that um, uh, when you, or any, any individual state, I guess, is that, uh, when you do pass something like that, pretty much all the other states have to go along with it. So you just really have to land it once. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it, it just in, it improves it. So the old rect repair stuff was kind of like, you have, you know, you had to make connectors, like a known kind of connector, that kind of thing. But then you could do other shady things that eventually people learn like, oh, well, but for the next model car, I'm going to make the cable too small. And so now you're going to need to buy this newer cable that's a little bit longer and things of that nature. And of course, they want digital, and so like, oh well, everything's like in this, you know, MCU, this microcontroller, and so we don't have to tell you how that works. So we don't have to tell you how CAN bus works. We don't have to tell you how the cloud part works. Um, so as a, when you're going to fully electronic cars, like that makes it really hard to repair uh, an electric vehicle that is all electric. Uh, like everything's then proprietary, um, and so this new right to repair tries to start tackling that. It's still only one step in that direction, and it did pass. Uh, so we, we, we argued for it to go on the ballot and on the ballot in November and it passed. Um, so that part's good. Um, we still have to do the Excellent. fight because they, they push back. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, but now they're you know, saying it's unfeasible, you know, to, to do. And um, so we have to prove that it's not unfeasible to do. Um, it's actually pretty easy. Uh, for a lot of these things, it it does require you to maybe change some of your model a bit, but like cloud stuff, it's just an API. So there's some cloud work, you know, you, you have to have a consumer-based API and you have to have an authentication mechanism for it. I mean, you do have to do some work, uh, but this isn't like technically impossible by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the goal is opening up so that, you know, not just as a consumer, I can change it, but I can take it to my trusty mom and pop down the street um, or any repair person at the mall or whatever to say like, Hey, this thing broke and I, I need it fixed. Um, I you know I really love this this robot that I have in the house that I want to you know live as long as it possibly can and I want to see updates to it or, or whatever I want to do my own or have, buy them from other people. Um, that should definitely be a thing, and it cannot be a thing without right to repair.
0: And one thing I want to emphasize about that is like looking at who's who's pushing for both sides, right? Like the folks that don't want you repairing your stuff. Are the same folks that really don't have your best interests in mind. They're talking about, well, you know, if we can get them to buy something new, that's way more revenue in our pocket. And also to build something that's actually going to last and going to be repairable, you're probably going to have to build it to a higher quality. It's going to take additional uh, capital to actually get that thing out the door. Whereas the folks that stand to benefit are all the individuals. It's you and I, it's the small shops, it's not the big guys. So when it comes to actually getting legislation like this enacted, it has to come from kind of the, it's not going to come from a big corporation. It's not going to come from Apple. It's not going to come from uh, any sort of device manufacturer because it costs them money. So it takes people like Craig and it takes people like you and I to get interested in this and to actually push for it because you cannot rely on anybody else to actually fight for you like this.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think it's mainly because of um, like the VC and being public because people are all for short term gains. You know, there's no long term thoughts on that. Like, how can we make more money this quarter than we did last quarter?
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: it, if, if, if companies were to, to make better products um, that weren't just glued shut and things of that nature, um, long term, it, it does, from a consumer perspective, they'll buy more of them and you could sell parts. So there's just a different model for it, but it's a more long term goal. And I, mm-hmm. I feel, most of these large companies, it's just for what can we, how can we make more money next quarter? Oh, sell a new dongle. Um, it's just, it's just that kind of thing. They're just very, sh- very short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's unfortunate because mm-hmm. I, I feel you can totally make money and even more money um, for the long-term strategy as well. It's just, it's just not the interest of people who are in the stock market.
0: That's interesting. All right, Craig, we're, we're here at the end. We really appreciate you coming in and talking to us. Uh, what are your three takeaways when it comes
2: to car hacking? Um, I think it's why it's a super interesting topic. I think it's, you know, we have to be realistic and realize that, you know, in general, uh, you don't have to worry about your car being hacked. Um, If your car acts up, it's probably not because it was hacked. It's probably a natural failure in the vehicle and just take it into the shop. Um, In general, you're fine. Uh, If you're not a security expert uh, working on vehicles, you, you shouldn't have to worry too much. Um, also like, I I like to see people get involved, um, with just learning new things. We would love to have more people working at the car hacking village and just not even working, just participating, just showing up. Um, it's a, it is a busy event, um, but they're all over the place. So if there's not one that, uh, is near you, or you can't make it to a conference, I mean, outside the pandemic, of course, um, you can also check out open those are usually for local meetups. It's a smaller version of it. You can start with those. Um, kind of work your way up. And those are usually at little hacker spaces and and whatnot, and they're throughout the world. And if you really, really want one and there's not one in your area and you can't get to any of these um, reach out to open and start your own. Um, We can give you guidance on how to do that. It's not, it's not hard. Um, And then people will come to you and that works well too. And if you're really interested in car hacking um, and say it's in between times of going to one of these meetups or a conference uh, I, I would recommend my, the, my book, "How the Car Hackers Handbook." Uh, I'm working on revision two. Probably won't be out for maybe another year. That'll have even more stuff involving like heavy trucking. It'll have more rent repair stuff in it. Um, it'll have some really fun stuff. We, uh, we already got maybe half of it done. Um, but yeah, go on, go online, get the Car Hackers Handbook. If you don't have money for it, don't worry. It's under Creative Commons. It's a free book. Um, so you can also go into opengarage.org and get the handbook that way in the ebook form. Uh, If you want the physical copy, though, you will have to to pay for it to plug. No start to I'm very uh, grateful for that publisher to allow me to release it as Creative Commons as well, because I think it's more important that we know the, the knowledge than than charge for it.
1: Special thanks to Craig Smith for joining us on the show today. We hope we've dispelled some myths around car hacking and have helped you get a better understanding of the realities of car hacking. We'll drop links in the show notes if you want to learn more about some of the topics we covered today.
0: Stay safe out there. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Explained. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for new topics that our audience finds interesting, and you might be able to pick our next show. Feel free to reach out via social media or give us a rating on your listening platform to let us know how we're doing. You can find us on the web at securityexplained.fm or on Twitter at SecExplained. Thanks again, and until next time, stay safe.